Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yo, what's good? Welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast, people of the internet. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. I almost got that wrong. Uh, in today's episode, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. I kind of love that we're going to talk about the James Webb Space Telescope yeah. first images that are sort of taking over the internet. They did take over the internet, I it's think. It's not always positive things that take over the internet, but a new frontier of deep space imagery is a is a beautiful thing to take yeah. over the internet. Um, we also got David to sit down with Dr. Stephanie Milam of NASA to talk about some of the first images we're seeing out of JWST. And it's fascinating, so stay tuned for that. Um, but first, we do want to correct a little bit of our trivia from last week, right? We have some some uh, Nexus Q fact correction. Yeah. Yeah, so we got the answer wrong last week in our trivia wrap-up. Shout out to at Steve Aguay and at Yari Jalouf, I believe. They kindly corrected us. The Nexus Q came out in 2012, mm-hmm. not 2011. So Andrew has a final score of 13 to Marquez's 17. We had to take a point away from Andrew and give it to Marquez. So now Marquez yeah. won by a larger margin. Not not only was I wrong, but you still said the correct answer afterwards. So just like, this is really kicking me when I'm down. You know, it's Nexus Q trivia. You can't always, you know, hang your hat on that. So I'm just happy to be getting that one right. Still winning. On to a new season. There will be more trivia later today. Um, yeah. But let's talk about the, uh, you know... Over the last couple of years, we've done a lot of live events and kind of rated how they are. And we had our first live event from Nothing, the new phone company. And I think we have to talk about it and the phone as well. Was um, their be- first event? It was their, f- uh, I guess they may have had a headphones they event, had, but like yeah. we usually talk about smartphone, bigger events like that. And right. this was clearly their first. Um, it was slated on, was that Tuesday? Tuesday, I think. And yep. any thoughts? Any thoughts right off the bat? Uh, my thoughts are the event was bad. Okay. You could see what they were, ch- what they were for going sh- for. Like yeah. they had a very casual vibe and you could see they're going for like the anti-establishment vibe. The more like lifestyle versus more like in your face text yeah. kind of thing. It, but at the same time, like when we, you talk about Apple keynotes being like the gold standard and everyone goes, oh, well, they're so corporate. It's always the same people on stage, blah, blah, blah. But they are, uh, amazing at capturing your attention and stringing it along through new products and devices and services and features and things like that. And this event, I just didn't do that. It was, it was casual. It was fine. I'm sure nothing fans were going to love it either way, but I think we, more importantly, now also have the reviews of the actual phone. Yes. Well, and I think that's what we want to go over. Well, the shining spot of the entire event was clearly when um, they showed shop.mkbhc.com on they the did. screen. We did not know that was coming at yeah. all. That caught us by surprise. Um, but at the same time, with how surprised we were there, I realized later that that's also when they mentioned the refresh rate of the phone yep. that I completely missed, which 
to me felt like the overarching theme of this is I missed all of the specs or they just didn't say them. I, I didn't feel like I left that event knowing much more about the phone. Yeah. Well, now we have it. Yeah. The review's out. I guess uh, this is a chance to catch up on everything you want to know. Yeah. Literally ask me anything. I've had the uh, phone can, for about, over a week. I've been using it daily and liking it, liking a lot of it, not liking some parts of it. I want to start at price because to me that sure. is how like I can form my opinion on this through the price. And it's the thing I've been dying to know the most for sure. this. I think most people do. So. Just a precursor, it doesn't initially look to be going on sale in the U.S., so this is uh, Great British Pounds. We have our starting okay. price is 399 Great British Pounds. Very similar to U.S. dollars, but that's the official number. Um, that, by the way, will only be in black, and that will be the 8 gigs of RAM, 128 gig version. Only in black? Only in only in black. That? Yeah, so they okay, showed off sorry, the white very one. very confused already. Showed off the white one everywhere. You can't get that at the base price. 399 Great British Pounds baseline nothing phone. Okay. You can bump up to eight gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of storage for 50 extra pounds, and mm -hmm. for 100 extra pounds, 12 gigs of RAM and 256 gigs of storage. Okay, so we've got 399, 449, 499. So all yep. under 500. Correct. Um, I think that is, under 500 is a, a great range to be in. Um, it's still, you know, I call it, we call this mid-range. I think it's really safe to call this mid-range. I know we've argued about that. Yeah. People have argued about that a lot, but this is, Mid-range to budget. Um, it is clearly not an upper high-end flagship. Mm -hmm. And it is also, to me, clearly not going for the lowest possible price. It is yes. firmly in the mid-range. And I think it's smart. I think they literally just decided to target a price and build a phone around that price. For sure. Which I say in the review. Yeah, so we, um, in terms of the the chipset, we knew that already. But I'm trying to... Where, where would you say the sacrifices are made in terms of this? Because mm -hmm. if you have a price under 500 and we already know that they focus so much on design and the glyph lights on the back and stuff like that, that's going to take a chunk out of your margins right there. So mm -hmm. it, they obviously had to sacrifice some other stuff. Sure. Besides just the chipset, which we already know. Yeah, okay. So the chipset is the ch this, this Snapdragon 778G+. Plus. Mm -hmm. They worked specifically with Qualcomm on it to enable things like wireless charging, reverse wireless charging. But it is an older chipset. It's not the new Snapdragon 7 Gen 1. But I think they'll argue it's a more stable, reliable chipset. The the sacrifice, if you want to use that word, is really that it's it doesn't have the headroom of the ultra high-end, the big game, big title gaming stuff, the like heavy multitasking. I still think it's a very smooth phone most of the time, mm -hmm. which is really nice. Uh, and you do see that a lot in mid-range phones around this price. So the chip isn't really letting me down in any way. Yeah. If I was expecting a flagship, this wouldn't be that, but it is, it is pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, looking at these specs, some of the other things I'm seeing, um, I mean, you still have 45 milliamp hour battery, right? Um, 4,500. It is 33 watt charging okay. wired. And That's what is it? Not 15? great. It's, it, turns, it actually turns out to be fine. I know the number is low on paper, but I found myself like not like annoyed with how slow it was charging. Listen, to me, when it comes to fast charging, I would argue it's the thing I care about the least. Um, if this has wireless charging and even slow wireless charging, I will be topped off pretty much the entire day through that by just having one wireless charger at my desk and one on my nightstand. Same. No so. part of me is ever worried about this, yeah. I think. So um, it has 15 watt wired wireless charging. Yeah, that's totally fine. It's fine. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. Um, 45 milliamp hour battery is fantastic. 
oh, pretty good. Yeah, for I a think phone that's of great. this size. So it's a six and a half inch screen. I, I talk about it in the review video, but my battery life is typically like one normal day. Like I end the day with less than 20% battery getting into the lower teens. So I'm like not quite comfortably ending the day with a full, like one full battery, but I don't have like 40% or anything like that. Okay. So it's, it's a one day battery. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not anything to write home about. This is the thing in the review. I have a couple things closer to the end that are not really that great or that bad. The speakers, like they get kind of loud, but they're not that great. Like not worth writing home about. Yeah. Um, the battery life is another one of those things. It's, it's not like super fast charging or anything like it's, it's fine. But it's okay. You, you don't want to miss on paper. So at least it's not a miss. Um, and there's other things like haptics that were, to me, around average, like not bad. They're definitely not the soft, mushy, bad vibration motor. But they were a little bit awkward with typing on the keyboard and a little bit much sometimes. So somewhere in the middle. Okay. So it's it's just not that like perfectly fine polish that we're seeing in the $1,000 smartphones yeah. out there. Um, sure. Okay. I, I Ultimately, I think that sounds pretty solid. There's one thing he mentioned in there that I was kind of confused about, and this is Carl Pay talking about how it's connecting better to third-party um, uh, features, I guess. I forget if he said apps or features, and he mentioned like connecting to your Tesla and okay. just like kind of tossed that out there without anything, and we all just said, isn't that just what the app does? Yeah, so there's a couple interesting ecosystem things that they threw out there. Now, nothing makes headphones already, mm -hmm. and so you would expect the nothing headphones to work the best, work great with uh, the nothing phone. But the same thing kind of happens when you plug in AirPods or when you connect AirPods via Bluetooth. It puts them up in the quick settings and it tries to like act like they're part of the ecosystem, okay. which is kind of cool. Now the Tesla thing, uh, I have a Tesla, I have the app installed, I signed in. It didn't work, it's in the experimental feature section, but okay. they were basically showing that you could also add like vehicle controls into your phone's quick settings. So if I wanted to unlock my car from outside, you know, 100 feet away in the parking lot, I could open the app and do that. But now it could be like one swipe down in the quick settings, which okay. would be cool, but it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah. So cool idea, but yeah, I'm still waiting for that to work. I also wonder, do you know, this is a random question, but do you know what your quick settings are off the top of your head? Yeah, I always have internet, like Wi-Fi connectivity yep. up there. I always have auto-rotate, flashlight, and typically Bluetooth is the last one. And then okay. airplane mode is a swipe away. I was going to say, like, would you wind up replacing any of those if you had the option for your Tesla there or would you be okay with the at this point you're swiping twice yeah and then how far away is that from going into the app you know I might put something like uh starting the charge um in the quick settings basically okay. the only thing I really use my phone for is the bluetooth key so when I walk up to the car it unlocks okay. all the other remote stuff I manage I was going to dive into the app anyway to like change the charge limit or like tell it to wait till off peak hours to charge, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I might have added that. It was just like, it would have been cool if it worked and I could actually try it, but it just didn't. It didn't. So, have yeah. you tried it with AirPods? I haven't actually. There, no. there was, did you see the photo going around of how in the event it showed Carl's AirPods connected to, it to AirPods, rather yeah. than Maybe, you know, everyone was making fun of him, but maybe that was the ultimate Easter egg he's that he appealing. knew people were going to. I think he's just appealing to what he knows most people have. And That's, want. You know, I I have to give credit here. That is not something I recognized um, or 
Did they mention that in the keynote or is that just something in the reviewer's guide? They No, they went over a little bit of the like ecosystem thing okay. where you can build your own ecosystem. I, I, th I think it's cool that they're open to working with other companies. Like we don't see that a lot with a lot of other smartphones or at least like, I mean, clearly I'm sure nothing would prefer if you use nothing headphones, but being a little more open into the default system settings of accepting other things, sure. I think is, is kind of I awesome. Think, I think I would characterize it as nothing doing extra work on their end to make it look like they're working with other companies. Okay. <laughs> I don't think Apple is giving them any sort of special oh, okay. features or access. Well, yeah, yeah, but but I appreciate that there's a company that yeah. recognizes there are other companies yeah. out there. True. Cool. That's true. That's um, one more thing to wrap this up. I, I think learning all of this specifically and after all that, I'm pretty proud of my... Um, my assumption that this felt like the updated Beats headphones of smartphones. Would do, do you agree with that now looking back? Yeah, okay. So here's how I ended the video. Okay. Um, nothing started with a pair of headphones and our eventual conclusion about them was, all right, they sound okay. They're not particularly focused on performance, but they do have a really distinctive design. Mm -hmm. So like solid user experience, but it's focused on design. And then they came out with a phone. And it was the exact same story. Not really too focused on performance, but a pretty solid user experience and a really distinctive design. So to me, that's the story of the phone. That's kind of also the Beats story. But then when you look at the rest of like, all right, now what's nothing going to make? They can keep building their ecosystem. Is NFTs. it a tablet? Is it a, oh, I didn't go to <laughs> But I went to like, is it a smart speaker? Whatever else they decide to make, it will That's probably cool it will probably be along the same lines. Probably won't be focused on specs or performance, but it'll have a solid user experience, but it, it better have a distinctive, cool design. And that's what nothing's all about. What would you, if you could pick what nothing would do next, what would it be I, uh, in that mantra? I think those are the two I was most curious about, actually. Smart speaker would be kind of interesting. And I, I think like tablet that. would be cool. Ta tablet's hard. I think smart speaker in a like um, transparent design a cool would design look speaker. so sweet. That'd be dope. Yeah. I, I would like to see that. I yeah. think now I want that. Considering how good the headphones looked, and headphones really typically don't look that good, I would be very curious. Maybe they, maybe they make over-ear headphones or something. Who knows? Over-ear would be cool. I want the Nothing Home one. That would be sick. Okay. I dig that. Well, I'm sure Carl's listening, so. We'll I want see. I want a, a stake in that. Thank <laughs> you. You're welcome. If you're interested in like all the rest of the deeper stuff about this phone, like the camera, yeah. like the uh, performance, the 120 hertz display, it's not LTPO, but it's 60 to 120 hertz, all that stuff. Definitely watch the full review. It should be up by the time you're listening to this, so check that out. For sure. But that's the Nothing phone. It's finally out and in the real world and exists, and we can... We can stop making puns. I'm about so it. happy I don't have to like accidentally make the pun every time. It makes me very excited for the future. I like That's how like half an hour ago you were like, we're gonna go talk about nothing's event and how they did nothing. And I, we were like, I just put my head down. Scary. I didn't walk to the podcast studio after that. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do the first trivia question of season two. Season two. So the score is officially zero zero. Yeah. So how do you wanna start this? Who gets you, the first? Yeah. Hold up gets, a number behind your back. One of us guesses it. I don't know if there's a better way to. We could do that. We could do that later when we do the answers. Yeah, I was going to say the answers got to wait for later. Okay. All right. But season two begins <laughs> with new music. So what was Ask.com originally known as? Mm, okay. 
I remember that. Good yeah, old, me too. I good was going to say, I hope engine. I'm not showing my age that no, bad. I remember the, the old search engine. <laughs> okay. I have some old search engine stories too, but we'll get to that later. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. Hey guys, just a heads up. This interview is very visually oriented. We tried to make it so we were explaining the images for you audio listeners out there. If you have an opportunity, whether it's right now or when you park your car or something like that, definitely look up the James Webb Space Telescope images because they're freaking amazing. And if you're not already using them as your wallpaper, you probably will be soon. So um, thank you for coming on today. Can you start off by uh, stating your name and what you do at NASA? Sure. I'm uh, Stephanie Milam. I'm the Deputy Project Scientist for Planetary Science on the James Webb Space Telescope. Awesome. Uh, how long have you been working on JWST for? About 10 years now. Um, it's been a long time. <laughs> That's why. It's, does it feel crazy to have it finally start taking photos up there? Um, it's, it is such an amazing feeling to finally get images down and know that science is beginning. Um, it's been a long time coming. So getting to this point has, it's such a relief and also it's extremely exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well today, uh, we did a prior podcast with you guys actually about JWST and how it works and how it was, when it was going to go up and what it was going to take pictures of and all that stuff. So this is sort of a follow-up kind of podcast that covers the first photos that it took. Um, so kind of wanted to go through all of those and have you maybe explain like what we're seeing, why it's important, all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, so I sort of figured that maybe we would go through the images as they were presented by NASA on the presentation. Okay. So the first one is um, going to be that deep field photo. Yeah, I um, I love this photo. Um, I understand why this was the first one released, um, letting the president actually release it, um, because this photo or this image in and of itself actually just 
completely demonstrates what the James Webb Space Telescope was designed and built to do. Um, We set out to study the first stars and galaxies, um, really study and probe that, you know, infant era of, of the universe. And what you can see in this image is the first step towards approaching that that limit. Uh, we see what you see primarily in the in the the main image is there's a series of galaxies, um, sort of the bright white ones, kind of you know streaked across the the center of the image. Um, and these galaxies are so large and so massive; they're actually acting like a lens, and so they're pulling the light from all the distant galaxies behind it um, up to a more visible realm. And so that's why some of these galaxies look like they're actually being pulled and smeared or streaked across the the image. It's because they're, they're being pulled. The light is actually being pulled in that manner. Um, So this is something, you know, Einstein told us that was going to happen and we see it all the time. And um, what you can see in the web image is, is a perfect demonstration of what, what galactic lensing is actually all about. Um, Okay. So that's cosmic lensing or galactic lensing, right? Yeah. And just to, to help listeners and viewers understand, that's basically like there are galaxies that are so massive that their gravity is pulling the light from the galaxies behind them? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, for, for audio listeners, there's like we, we showed a deep field from Hubble in the prior episode. And there's like all of these galaxies with there's red ones that are being red shifted and there's. There's stars that have like these insane, um, what do you call like that, the brightest star near the center that has like that almost like Christmas star kind of look? What, yeah, what would that be um, considered? Th- that is one of the most defining ways to find stars in these images. Um, so the light's just being dispersed in a way, it's called the point spread function. So it's because we have a hexagonal mirror, the light gets um, kind of dispersed oh. in that that star <laughs> asterisk asterisk looking um configuration so that's that's a telltale sign that you're seeing stars (laughs) okay and those are stars compared to the other shapes that are mostly galaxies yes yes and one of the most amazing parts about this image is um if you download the high resolution image and i i highly encourage you to do so just start zooming in um and you're gonna see that every one of these tiny little dots going across this image is completely a resolved galaxy we can see the structure of the galaxies some of them we can even see the star formation actually happening in them. Um, it is absolutely astonishing the resolution, clarity, as well as the detail that we're getting out of all of this. Um, mm-hmm. This image is it, its mind-blowing to me. And if you look at the previous Hubble image compared to the James Webb Space Telescope's image of this the same field, um, you'll just be blown away by, first of all, again, the clarity, but then also just like span across the image and see how many new things have appeared from the James Webb telescope. Mm. Um, so we're we're now seeing more distant galaxies. We have galaxies that are over 13 billion years. Um, the light is actually 13 billion, over 13 billion years old. Um, so it took it that long to actually reach us here. Um, in our mm-hmm. own solar system. Yeah, that's something I was going to ask. Like, compare. We're going to show the, a comparison of the Hubble photo versus the JWST photo. What are the biggest advantages uh, coming from JWST? I, I assume it's from the uh, infrared and near infrared spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. But so, what? Are, <clears throat> yeah, what are we seeing here? That's 
special. So um, having an infrared telescope gives us access to light that has been actually shifted or stretched to longer and longer wavelengths. Um, This is uh, because the galaxy or the universe is expanding. And so that light um, actually has to travel a very long distance. And since it's actually being traveling away from us, it actually gets stretched longer and longer to longer wavelengths. So that's why we have an infrared telescope is for that specific reason of trying to access these really early galaxies that had mm. tremendous amounts of distance um, to actually get to, to us to actually study. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an extremely large telescope um, and that's so that we can get that that angular resolution, that that spectacular clarity across these images as well. Um, mm-hmm. The colors actually show you the the distances as well. It gives you us a lot of information, not only on the distance, but also on the composition. It lets us know if they're really dusty or if they're primarily, you know, young stars. Um, there's a lot that we can of information that we get out of this. Um, all of these details, everything from the color, shape, um, these crazy you know, smeared looking ones um, versus the very resolved ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if we start looking at the spectra, which we can actually take of each of these galaxies, that tells us how far away they actually are and gives us a lot more information. And the spectra, just uh, to explain that to the listeners, that's like the spectroscopy, right? That's like the composition of the galaxies. Right, right. Based on the wavelengths of light that we're seeing. um, Sort of the fingerprints of atoms and molecules. And by doing that, we're, we're actually analyzing the, the certain wavelengths of light that would be indicative of those fingerprints. And so what we're hoping to find with the first stars and galaxies, they don't have a lot of um, former um, stellar material in them, right? So they're only the hydrogen and helium from the Big Bang. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. as we start looking at spectra of these, these really old galaxies, um, we're hoping to stop seeing things like oxygen and nitrogen and neon in them um, because then we'll know that we're actually seeing the first stars and galaxies. Um, whereas as okay. we have shown in the spectra from some of these uh, galaxies um, with the first image, um, we are seeing some of those those more evolved atoms, <laughs> um, which is suggesting that we're not even there yet. And we're already at 13.1 billion years back. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's just crazy to think that that amount of reprocessed material is already forming in galaxies um, at 13.1 billion years ago. So the first couple hundred million years of the universe. So if if the original stars only had helium and hydrogen in them, where do all the other atoms come from? So it comes from a process called nucleosynthesis. So stars, as they get really, really hot, those those individual atoms actually start fusing together and they form heavier and heavier atoms. And so that's why we we expect the older or the second generation or third generation galaxies to have more and more of that atomic material that we'll see in the spectra. Mm. Um, So more and more heavy atoms. (laughs) Um, So the early ones should only have that that very pristine hydrogen and helium. Mm. Awesome. Has this photo in particular exposed anything that we didn't know because of the Hubble photo that suddenly we know more about? Or is um, it just kind of like a higher resolution version and we're going to be pointing it at other stuff and figure that out later? So um, there's there's a lot of things that we've pulled out from this image compared to the Hubble. Um, one, just because now we're at infrared wavelengths so we can see more galaxies. Um, but also with our spectra, we have access now to... Um, 
really understanding the dynamics of, of each of these galaxies as well as the composition. Um, and so that's giving us a lot more insight. Um, mm. We haven't done a full, obvious scientific analysis because we wanted to put out something beautiful and spectacular and kind of gave it a first look just so that we could explain some of the, the, the key details that are going on in this image. But I promise you, people are going to go back and reobserve this multiple times and try to go deeper and deeper and really dig into the details um, mm. across this entire image because there's thousands of galaxies already in there. And so... And these um, photos were only taken in June, right? <laughs> they were just, a, yeah, it was just a couple of weeks yeah. <laughs> ago. So it's it's crazy to think, you know, how quickly we're getting our data and how fantastic it is and how much information is already embedded in these first five images. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. graduate students' thesis work, you know, it's a, an yeah. exceptional amount of material, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to spend too much longer on this image just because we got more to go through, but um, how long did this take to capture compared to Hubble? So um, each filter was about a two-hour integration. So we have, I think, a total of about 12 hours to to acquire this image, Um, which is insane because Hubble's um, comparable deep, deep, deep field was weeks worth of time. And so we have a blink of an eye effectively with the James Webb Space Telescope compared to what we've done with the Hubble Telescope for considerable depths into the into the universe um that is that is crazy yeah so it's it's um it's very intimidating (laughs) yeah yeah awesome well i think next um we should look at is it stefan's quintet or stephen's stefan's quintet right yeah seven's quintet um can you tell us a little bit about this photo for for the audio listeners it's basically it looks like cut like Three things of almost like jellyfish. If you've seen like jellyfish in an aquarium, it's complete blackness. And then there's these three giant blobs of pink kind of swirling around each other. Right. So it's actually five galaxies total. Um, The one that's kind of on the left that looks a lot more um, resolved, I guess. You can see all the stars and the clouds within it. Mm. is actually a lot closer to us than the other ones. It just happens to be in a line of sight that makes it, um, well, an absolutely stunning image, but (laughs) kind of makes it look like it's in closer proximity, but um, it's actually uh, much closer to us than the other ones. Um, And then, as you said, the other jellyfish um, in the sea there, uh, those (laughs) are a series of merged galaxies. So those galaxies, um, the way they grow is they actually merge together. They start collapsing and merging together. So you have a lot of really dynamic process going on in these images. Um, The top one uh, is is extremely bright, um, especially when you go to the longer wavelengths. and if you look at the Miri version of that image, um, you see almost like a, a very bright uh, striped feature going across the center of that <clears throat> structure. But you also see this nice diffuse swirly um, pattern, which is all the material that's being blown from the merger mm. and, and um, lit up from all the, the energy that's happening. Um, but it's an active galactic nuclei. So this is a really extreme um, region with a, a black hole in the center of it. And what you're seeing in the, the mid-infrared image, there's almost like these fingers of dust and gas that are coming off of it. And that's actually the material being pulled into the black hole. So 
There's all kinds of crazy detail in just that particular merged um, galaxies. Um, On the lower part, the lower one, um, the the lower right one, you can see all kinds of structure and detail as well, including um, some of the star forming regions um, that are within the galaxy. Um, It this is absolutely a fantastic and gorgeous image. Um, the mid-infrared yeah. image with the colors is my favorite image out of all the ones that we've released. Um, I like to think of it as gems of the universe because uh, it's so brilliantly colored and they did such a fantastic job with this image. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to be so an these... galactic astronomer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these are all galaxies that are they're merging together. How exactly does that process work? Do they just like hit each other and then, or do they sort? You can sort of see like the the one in the lower right. It almost looks like it's swirling around. They're they're swirling around each other in a weird way. Yeah. How does that yeah. process happen? Um, so they kind of eat each other <laughs> uh, and merge together. Um, so this is. It, it all comes down to gravity, right? Um, they start pulling, once they get in close enough proximity, they'll start pulling each other together. Um, and that, that's how they become more and more massive. And this is, you know, an extreme thing that we, we're just kind of scratching the surface of now and something that the James Webb Space Telescope is really going to provide a lot of insight and detail as we get um, further into the mission and we get more and more of these mm. images. Um there's a lot of information that we can gain with all the wavelengths, all the instruments of the James Webb Space Telescope. So um, understanding the near-infrared spectra and imagery um, and moving all the way through the mid-infrared where we can actually see things like the molecular hydrogen lines and understand what's going on as far as the chemi- chemical properties, the dynamics, um, you know, all the other physical parameters that we can pull out of this mm-hmm. information. So it's very and the exciting. lighter, like hazy areas that we see being thrown around that is that like cosmic dust? Yeah, a lot of it's dust, um, stars, um, large clouds of gas and dust. So one of our other mid- images is in our own galaxy of a cloud of gas and dust. Those are the same types of clouds that they have in these other galaxies. And that's where stars are being formed. Hmm. Okay, amazing. Cool. I love this photo as well. I think that a lot of people should take a look at them. Again, like the last episode, if you're listening to this in the car, once you're done with your drive, take a look at the website and look at these because they're amazing. Um, Okay, I think next we can move on to... Let's do the Spectra, the Spectrum one because I think that was the third one that you guys unveiled yesterday. Um, this one is a little bit different. It's not an actual photo, but it's actually just spectra. So we talked about this in the last episode. It's basically looking at an exoplanet and figuring out the types of compounds that are on that exoplanet. Um, so do you want to talk about this exoplanet a little bit? It's called yeah. Wasp 96B. So, um, Wasp 96 is a, a sort of a stellar, a sun-like star. Um, and it has this extremely large planet that orbits about every three and a half um, Earth years. So it, it's it's going around very, very fast. It's extremely large planet. It's about um, the size of Jupiter, but it is um, it has a really, really puffy atmosphere. So it's only about half the density of Jupiter. And so is this a super why... puff? Is this considered a super puff? Yeah, it's a <laughs> super puff. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this in the last episode because it's, yeah, it's a fun name. It's a fun name. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, 
So this planet is, um, it was an ideal candidate for a first look to really see what kind of spectra we could do because we knew it had this extremely puffy atmosphere and we knew that it was mm. going to be a pretty hot atmosphere considering how close it is to its star. Um, it's, it's within the, the distance of Mercury from our sun. So it's really, really mm. close and it's going around really, really, really fast. And it's big and puffy. So um, we had a nice first look and got to really test the limits of what our um, nearest instrument that was provided by the Canadian Space Agency could do um, as far as studying um, exoplanet spectra. So what you're seeing is actually um, the, the fingerprint pattern, as I was talking about earlier, of water. Um, in the spectra. And anybody, oh. any layman can actually look at this image and, and say, yes, there's hills and valleys and clearly there's, you know, peaks up at, up at certain wavelengths and then there's definitely wells at other wavelengths. And what that's suggesting um, as far as the spectra goes is that there are actual indications of water vapor um, in this planet. So this is... Um, Excellent uh, level of detail for a first look of, of an exoplanet spectra. So what we're hoping mm -hmm. to do, um, oh, and I should also say that this is the longest wavelength spectra that we've ever been able to acquire of an exoplanet as well. Um, so when you get to the right-hand side of this um, squiggly lines, um, that's actually uh, information that's never been acquired on a, an, an exoplanet's mm. atmosphere. So um the James Webb Space Telescope has access to longer wavelengths than what we've ever been able to study in these planets. And that's that's a really key point um, with the James Webb Space Telescope, because as you go to longer wavelengths, we get access to other, other very interesting molecules, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, uh, methane. Uh, these are the kinds of things that we hope to be looking for in the planets around other stars just so that we can understand what their atmospheres actually are actually made of. And maybe some of them might look like Earth's. Um, maybe some of them will look like Jupiter or maybe something really crazy like, you know, the atmosphere on Titan, for example. So um, mm -hmm. it's going to be a crazy epic of, you know, studying these atmospheres and planets around other stars. Um, and this first look was a great demonstration of what we're going to be doing. We'll be right back with the JWST interview, but of course, since we're about to take a break, let's get into one more trivia question. All right. So Apple has a long history of using other OEMs displays. What was the brand name of the technology powering Sony's displays used in Apple CRT monitors starting in 1987? That went from a like, I definitely know this to I'm definitely gonna figure it out after the break. It had an arc to it. We'll be right back. <laughs> Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. 
You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution, like you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte. Team up. Fight on. Do we have a next target for an exoplanet that we've been wanting to point this thing at for a while? Everybody has their own list. Um, I know one of the... One of the hot topics in exoplanet scientists or in exoplanet science that um, folks have been talking about wanting to look at with the James Webb Space Telescope for years, actually since the discovery with the Spitzer Space Telescope, is the TRAPPIST system. Um, So this uh, particular planetary system has a number of planets in orbits that are in what we call the habitable zone. Um, So they're far enough from their star where they can actually have liquid water and the interaction of the star, you know, what kind of star it is, how hot that star is, that distance being in this habitable zone makes some really interesting um, planets. And there's a number of them that are actually in this region um, in that system. Mm-hmm. So really understanding what their atmospheres look like and maybe seeing if they have something that's of mm. particular interest and intrigue. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming there's a committee that decides like what to point this thing at and... Um, read so there's spectra. A, a committee is sort of not the right word. What we have is a panel of experts that review. Um, so everyone in the scientific community can write uh, their proposal to observe any given target that they want to observe. And they have to justify it, um, you know, what the science is, what, how much time it takes with the James Webb telescope, how much, what instruments they're going to use. Um, and all of these proposals come in once a year. And then we have... Um, a panel that's established of of the community members themselves, um, and they review these proposals, and then they prioritize and rank them, and, and that's just based on what they think the best science is at that time. Um, so we do this every single year because science is obviously changing every single year. There's new planets being discovered. There's other objects that are being discovered. There's Um, follow-up observations you want to do from previous epics. There's all kinds of things that we want to do. So having an annual cadence gives enough diversity of the science program to allow, you know, the science to evolve naturally. Um, Mm. So it's all peer-reviewed, and um, I guarantee you the TRAPPIST-1 system is definitely on the list of um, exoplanets to be studied. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think we should move on to the Southern Ring Nebula. 
um, to try to explain this one to people. I would say there's kind of two versions. Can you explain what those two versions are? There's one that is has a blue center and then a red outer area, and then there's like a little white dot in the center, and then there's like a negative of that where it's red in the center with a blue on yeah, the outside. I'm it almost looks like a steak. To pull it up <laughs> so I'm talking about the right thing. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the eight burst nebula, an expanding cloud of gas surrounding a dying star. So I guess what this would be is like um, the infrared spectra that we're reading is showing the gas that's being pushed away from the star as it's dying. Exactly. Um, so I, I really hate the phrase planetary nebula, and I, I do not like that they call dying stars planetary nebula because it's a total misnomer, and it, it's very confusing to people that aren't um, in the biz. So... Uh, what you're actually seeing is what um, what you just said. It is a star that is dying. Um, so what happens is um, if we have a star like our own sun, as it gets older and older, it eventually turns into something that we call a, a giant, a red giant or a blue giant. And when that happens, it's it's because the, the star has now um, reached a phase that it's no longer burning hydrogen and helium, fusing hydrogen and helium to make um, new atoms. It starts making even heavier atoms. So now it starts burning mm. heavier and heavier elements. And that, that gives off a lot of energy. And all that energy now, it has, it starts, the, the star starts expanding. And when it expands, all that, that material of the star starts cooling down. So you get this big, dusty and gaseous cloud almost that, that encases that star. Um, and so this mm. is where they turn red because <laughs> all of that dust makes the light now a much more obscured and it makes the star appear mm. red and cooler. Um, once it gets to a certain phase where it no longer has, where the, the, that now sort of shroud of dust and gas around the star, it's, it's constantly expanding and eventually it expands so much that now the center star has stopped doing its fusion and it becomes a white dwarf. So it's a really tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny hot star. And that hot star is irradiating so bright that it now lights up all of that material that was just shed from the star. And so that's what you're seeing mm. here in a planetary nebula. So all these rings mm. that you see um, in both images are actually the old shells of material that have been pushed away from that star that's dying. Um, and it's emitting in all these beautiful colors because now the center star is sort of lighting it all up and making it irradiate. Mm. So the colors, um, the red that you're seeing here um, on the left-hand image, the near-infrared image, that's all the gas and dust that's remnant, um, sort of atomic material and a lot of dust and grains. And what's fantastic, if you blow up this image and look in any of that structure, that red fluffy sort of structure on the outside, it's crazy amounts of details. You can see almost um, mm. like streaks of light that are passing through each of these clumps of gas and dust, um, you can see all kinds of different dynamic processes happening just with your own eyes, even not even knowing what they are. You can actually physically see that happening, which is amazing. And this is 2,000 light years away too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's huge, actually. Um, these things um, span huge distances across the sky. Um, sometimes you can even see planetary nebula um, with with simple backyard kind of telescopes. Um, they're, they're massive. Oh. Yeah, they're fantastic cool. to actually try and observe for amateur astronomers. So 
you should definitely try to do that. Um, what's really what, cool about the mid-infrared yeah. image, so the one that's sort of red in the middle with the blue on the outside, is you can now see mm-hmm. that this is a binary star. Um, so we knew that there was a dying star, and we knew that there was a binary system, but resolving that second star was something that was always challenging to do. And now oh, we can so they're see right it next in that to each other. And, I'm sorry? There, there are two stars that are right next to each other, and that's why we you shot it in the infrared and also near-infrared, so you can see the difference. Yeah, yeah. So the red star, the one on the left um, in the mid-infrared image, so in the one with the red center, there's you can see the two stars. So the red one on the left is the one that's dying. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then it has a companion star that's the white one on the right, and it's um, much brighter. So this is cool. a really cool um, demonstration of the capability of the James Webb Space Telescope, not only with its wavelengths, but also with it that beautiful resolution that we get so we can actually see and resolve things like this now yeah that's awesome so the the one on the left is basically emitting a different wavelength of light as the one on the right correct and that's why you shoot in both of them interesting okay how close are these stars together are they like gonna fall into each other Uh, (laughs) i I don't know how close they are um I don't know that I have that information. Um, they're they're not. I don't think they're going to collapse or anything like that. It, they're it's a binary system that's fairly stable, so they they okay. probably are pretty happy with where they are. Cool. Yeah. These are this is an awesome set of images. Um, okay. I think the last one, which is probably the one that everyone has been sharing all over social media, and possibly, I don't want to say objectively the most beautiful one, but definitely. Very, very beautiful one. (laughs) Um, uh, The Carina Nebula, which is another thing that we have also shot in Hubble, correct? Yeah, yeah. So um, the Hubble image of this is something that everybody is probably familiar with and probably seen. Um, We have a really large image of um, the Eagle Nebula. And then this is one tiny little blip of that huge image that we've acquired with Hubble. So Mm. if you look at the Hubble image compared to this, the resolution is nothing near um, this level of detail. And yeah. the things that you can see with the James Webb Space Telescope image is, it, it's mind-blowing. There, there's so much we don't know about the process of star formation and planet formation. And that is all the more evident just by looking at this image and its first the Webb first glimpse of a star-forming region. Um, yeah. there's crazy structure you can see. So what you're seeing is, um, a giant cloud of gas and dust. Um, and this is where stars and planets are born. Um, and are they born in that because the, the, the dust just like attracts itself to each other and then yeah, yeah, there's dynamic processes that sort of push through these clouds and causes, you know, turbulence to happen. And once, that turbulence disturbs up a, a nice dense re- region of gas and dust. It'll cause it to start collapsing on itself, um, sort of mm-hmm. initiate that that key process, which is something mm-hmm. we don't really know a lot about. So, <laughs> mm. um, and cool. hopefully, something we'll learn more from this from the James Webb Space Telescope. There's all kinds of really cool things, though. So, the top of the image, where it almost looks like a night sky, um, that's sort of blue with mm-hmm. a lot of stars. There's a, that's where a lot of young stars have already formed and they've already pooled mm. all their nearby gas and dust um, and are probably developing their own planetary systems. The cloud 
and the, or the mountainous region uh, is where all the cloud and the dust is actually starting to form new stars. And you can see all kinds of dynamic processes happening. So if you look just past the center sort of mountain peak with a bright red star in it, um, go to the next mountain peak and you see a yellowish golden sort of star and it has what looks like a feathery hat coming off the top of it. And then the opposite of that hat, there's something sort of dynamic and arcing going into the cloud itself. And that's actually a young star that's forming. And it, when it starts collapsing all the, the material that it's uh, using to form its star, it has to get rid of a lot of its internal energy. And that often happens as these outflows. And so what you're actually seeing is really, really cool that we can actually resolve this with this, with this image is on the top where it looks like it's puffing through the top of the mountain. Its outflow is actually pushing all that gas and dust out of the cloud. And we can mm. see that happening. So it's like tufting up out of this mountain. And then the opposite jet is actually pushing into the cloud. And you can see the arcs and, and things forming because it basically just hits like a wall. Um, and so all that energy is now just colliding with another dense region of gas and dust, which will probably be the initiation and trigger for other star formations to start happening in that region. Wow. And I'm assuming that like this is going to look the same to us for the rest of humanity, right? We can't like point this at this in 100 years and it's going to look different. Um, we might see some dynamic things happening, um, especially with these outflow type um, events. Uh there's probably some opportunity to see some dynamic um, activity happening, um, but it, it is a pretty slow process compared to, you know, human life. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, you know, that's the funny thing about astronomy is, you know, we're, we're barely a, a blink of an eye in, in all of right. the things that are happening across the universe. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is definitely one of the most beautiful images of all time. And I'm so excited to see what we're going to do with the rest of star formation. I think half the internet is using this photo as their <laughs> wallpaper right now. <laughs> I'm using it as my as, as my laptop wallpaper right now and my phone wallpaper. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Wow. Was there a reason that we pointed at the Carina Nebula? Is it, Was it just sort of as a way to show Webb's superiority versus Hubble for this kind of imaging? Um, So there was a lot, well, what we wanted to do with these um, first images was really demonstrate all the science themes that we have for the James Webb Space Telescope and show the community and the public that we can actually achieve our scientific goals um, within these themes with, with the James Webb Space Telescope. And a lot of emphasis was put on um, looking at objects that we've already observed before, because there's already a little bit, you know, some foundation of knowledge from these regions or objects. Um, But also if we have things like Hubble imagery, that's something that is easier to understand and relate to as far as when you want to demonstrate the differences between the Hubble telescope and the James Webb Space Telescope. so what I will say is the ones that were shown were um, just a select few. Uh, they actually observed multiple objects within each of these um, science themes. And they just chose the best ones. Um, but there's more out there. Um, and all that information is getting released as we speak. 
Uh, so we'll see other of the op- the other observations of um, potential early release observations uh, for the James Webb Space Telescope that will be coming out. Um, I'm sure the scientific community will be on it and um, ready to start <laughs> revealing all the the hidden secrets that we've had on the project for the last few weeks. Um, but it's really exciting, uh, and I'm I'm so glad they chose this one because I think it's it's absolutely stunning. Hmm. Yeah, how often can we expect to see new images coming out? Um, well, initially, there's going to be probably quite a few, um, just because, like I said, we were collecting all of these these data as each of our instrument modes became available on the, mm. uh, once they, if you were following the Where's Web and we were checking off each instrument mm-hmm. mode. Um, so some of these images, we were able to start acquiring that data pretty early, um, so a number of weeks ago. Um, some of them mm-hmm. we had to wait until the final, <clears throat> you know, mode was actually blessed and approved, and then we could start taking the data. So that's mm-hmm. why the observations actually spanned a couple of weeks um, for all five of these images that were released. But as I said, we were taking some images of not just one region, but maybe two or three different nebula, for example. Um, and then they got to prioritize which ones they thought were the best. And so, um, there, there's a lot of observations that actually happened within the last few weeks of commissioning the James Webb Space Telescope. All that information is <clears throat> is becoming available, um, as I said, as we speak. Um, they're working on getting all that data online so folks can go in and look. So I think initially we're going to see a lot of it coming out just because it's there. It's Everybody wants to get their hands on the James Webb um, data as quickly as possible. So we'll probably see a number of images coming out. After that, it's going to take a little bit of time because the scientists are going to start getting their data. Um, and then depending on their familiar, familiarity with the analysis and interpretation of that data, it might take them some time just to learn how to, to digest it, to, to do their science, you know, do their analysis. Um, and so most of the, the individuals that are observing the first year um, have a proprietary period on that data for about a year. So they get to hold on to it. It's not public um, to do their analysis to really um, understand, you know, what, what it is that, that their scientific objective was. But some of the observations are actually available immediately to the public. And so those will probably come out a lot faster. Um, and there's mm. a whole series of programs that are called um, early release science programs. And these were designed as such. So they're, they're science programs that were taken that will be taken within the first six months of the James Webb science operations. Um, some of them started today uh, or yesterday or even last week. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and those observations will become public immediately. Um, and so some of that data and imagery um, spectra will probably be coming out a lot faster than the other general cycle science programs. Programs. Okay. And is that is that all going to be available on the same NASA website that all these photos are on? Yeah. Um, so not the NASA website. Everything goes into our archive. Um, so mm. we have the Mikulski archive. It's where all the Hubble data is actually archived. I don't know if there's plans to do something like, um, you know, the Hubble site where you can go in and search any Hubble image that's ever been taken. Um and find it for yourself mm-hmm. and put it on your desktop or on your phone or whatever. <laughs> um, 
There will probably be something similar for the James Webb Space Telescope, but I'm not 100% sure of what those plans are. Um, but I'm guessing there will be. Okay. Awesome. Well, I think that was a really amazing explanation of all these images. Um, for people that are listening, you should really watch the video podcast because it's very visual. <laughs> uh, sorry for the audio listeners. But um, yeah, is there anything else that people should know where they can stay up to date with everything JWST is doing? Um, JWST.nasa.gov is the, the first go-to. Um, of course, you can always Google JWST and find everything. We were even the Google Doodle <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Big I, honor. I didn't even know that was happening, and somebody told me to go and look. I was, I thought that was really fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, so jwst.nasa.gov. We're also all over social media. It's um, mostly NASA Web is our handle, mm -hmm. so um, that's another great place to follow along. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, if there's anything else that you think is worth talking about, then I guess let us know now. But otherwise, I think I think we're pretty good. I uh, have been talking nonstop for two days, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you should probably go get some sleep. <laughs> Eventually. I'm sure you have more interviews after this, but yeah, yeah. take a nice vacation or something. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you. We're super excited about this. So awesome. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun, David, to listen to. And I just, it's funny because I've had the, uh, I've been rotating between these James Webb Space Telescope images as my wallpapers on all my devices for the past couple of days since yeah. they came out. And it's funny, I've looked in high resolution on these brand new screens at these photos for so long at all these different things. And this entire time, I had never noticed that the one with the two different similar looking images had a binary star system in the yeah. middle. Literally never saw the second star until hearing that that's how they shot these two. Super cool stuff. Um, yeah, just cool about, cool to learn about our universe in such a visually engaging way. Yeah, I think that a lot of these images really showcase the spectrum that JWST can take photos in. That yeah. one that you mentioned, I thought it was just like a positive image and like a negative image, like they did a reversal but it's actually a mid-infrared image and a near-infrared image um, because there's a dying star that emits a certain type of light and then the other star in that system emits a different type of light. Very cool. Yeah. But um, obviously these are only like the first like four mm -hmm. or five images. and Many more to come. There's a lot more to come. Many more wallpapers to come. <laughs> we, were, we were joking like, yeah, this is like, Adam walked in, you walked in, I walked in. We have yeah. all of the same wallpaper. I'm feeling left out here. I think it might be time to change my wallpaper. I would bet you like half the half of the world has this as their wallpaper right now. And if they haven't, yeah. they should have sold it as an backdrop. Oh, no. Okay, okay, okay. Let's wrap. Yeah, no, that's it. Uh, I think we're on the same page, though, that the uh, the live stream revealing and explaining the photos was... Well, it was at the same time as the Nothing event. It was clearly yeah. the better live stream. So it, I, I wish watch I watched that instead. I had one on each monitor, and I was paying way more attention to one yeah, than the other. I was definitely watching NASA, and I only was notified that there was a Nothing event happening because someone tagged us uh, because they had the Waveform podcast. Yeah, that is event. true. NASA did not show shop.mkv.com. <laughs> What's up with that, NASA? Yeah, not cool. What's not up cool. With that? I'll I'll wait for that in the next JWST images. If you can like that's find okay. a constellation and name it <laughs> Waveform or something, that'd be dope. Uh, either way, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, but of course, shirt again today. Actually. Oh, well played, yeah. well played. Yeah. I think we should end it because we we didn't finish up with the trivia. So yeah. maybe David, 
you haven't heard the trivia questions yet, right? No. So we'll answer the trivia, and then if you think both of our answers are wrong, maybe you can chime what, in. What can I get, David, on my team? What? Wait, we get teams. Wait, zero, well, zero. I get teams because I got destroyed the first season. You you can have teams today. Yeah, yeah, that's but, what I'm saying. But David's on my time. team today. All right, fine. We're team right camera. <laughs> okay, <laughs> camera right. Team left camera. All right. So the questions were the first question: What was Ask.com originally known as? So we, I think we both know this one, right? I'm pretty sure it was Ask Jeeves, right? Yeah. Am yeah. I allowed? I can say the answer now. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. like last time, you're I good. You're good. No, okay. No. I would. Yeah. Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. Yeah. I do remember this. Although, like, was there a longer version? Well, there was a bunch of search engines that were sort of competing. I'm doing air quotes for the audio listeners. Where we were trying to think, like, oh, okay. If I don't use Google for everything, what will I use other search engines for? And Bing had its thing. I remember I used one called Alta Vista. I remember Alta Vista. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was Ask Jeeves. There was the Yahoo search yeah, engine. Yahoo. There was all kinds of other options. Is Ask.com still a website? It is. You can still That's ask ridiculous. Jeeves. They were sort of trying to spin it into an that, AI. Yeah. Where like Jeeves was a character, like they, Siri. They should have spun it into yeah. an NFT. <laughs> That's that <laughs> weird. I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. Very happy they didn't. Wasn't Andrew, it? you were so proud of that. That was correct then? Yes. Because I remember they changed the name of that like three or four times. It was yeah. Ask Jeeves. It was Ask.com. It's probably because it was Jeeves, the worst name ever. The AI. Jeeves? Ask Jeeves was terrible. It's not bad. I don't think it's it that bad. It was like it was that terrible. early part of the internet where people were trying to make fun things and Jeeves is like the classic butler name. Yeah, it was in this, it was the it was the it was ahead of its time. It was an assistant. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah, basically. Before yeah. Siri, before Clippy Alexa, Supreme. They Google before like well, it was not before Clippy. Clippy. Okay. Clippy yeah, was no, Clippy really Supreme. Ahead of yeah. 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 Ask Clippy.com. But Jeeves. Is that available? Ask Clippy.pizza. Is that available? NYC. Next question. This one's way harder. This by one the way, is very David. hard. Yep. Okay. Apple has a long history of using other OEMs' displays. What was the brand name of the technology powering Sony's displays used in Apple CRT monitors starting in 1987? What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I want to join my team because that's the, how I felt. What was when the first branding? Time. I just want everyone to know that. Ellis looked at me like I was crazy because I didn't know this. I think I need a whiteboard <laughs> to even understand the question okay, wait, yeah, of like where to... it's going. Okay, so Apple has long history of using other OEMs that way, mm-hmm. uh, displays. We know this. What was the brand name of the technology? So not the display itself. The technology that powers the Sony displays that were used in Apple CRT monitors okay. in 1987. So let me work backwards here. <laughs> In 1987, Apple had CRT monitors in their displays. Correct. Those CRT monitors were built by Sony. Correct. Those CRT monitors built by Sony used a certain technology, and that technology had a brand name. Was it Sony's branding or was it Apple's branding? That's for you to decide. That's a good question. Either a Apple, Apple name, simpler, an Apple name that everyone understood, or a Sony name. That if it's nobody Sony, understood. it's like RX seven nine six eight G. Yeah, which has uh, CRT. So a CRT. I'm assuming. I don't know the answer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm starting. Near, near infraretina. <laughs> I'm, that's not my actual. I like. I can see Ellis knows we all know what it is. It's just not clicking. Oh, and is this going to be like something we're going to be really sad about when we hear the answer? CRT 1987. Oh, what Mac was that? What Mac was that? <laughs> the PowerBook. 
if it helps before that sony replaced this brand name in the early 2000s with bravia no no (laughs) (laughs) that does not help i know about i know about sony bravia i'm trying to remember if i I think we should give up i think i'm gonna try to save that here is logistically create one from the information like the pro- like CRTs had like a had like bad refresh rates and they, they had like I don't think they problems. marketed that though no but they 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 would want theirs to have like a name that would suggest it overcame those problems okay so it'd be like clean scan or something like that you know what I mean like I guess Sony yeah, would name yeah. another hint is the problem it overcame was brightness actually like it was brighter than right. the other ones so it was yeah. brighter than a oh. standard CRT and this technology made its way to televisions in the early sixties it's a tech the name of a technology and not a brand. A brand. Sun it is a branding. Of the I, I could ask you the name of the technology, but I don't think this is such a complex question. I know <laughs> the uh, branding of a technology. Let's call it Sony Clearview. Okay, it's uh, <laughs> it's called Trinitron. What, <laughs> Alice? <laughs> it's written. Oh, whatever. Yeah, I don't think I was going to get that either. Alice. To any, if there's any right. listeners out there that got that, I will give you Ellis's personal cell phone you number. Must, <laughs> you must be older than us to probably get that. Well, the final score is Marquez uh, one, Andrew one. Season two, harder questions. Yeah. yeah. Was that, was like that, that it? There's not another question? That was it. That, that was, was, was kind of fun. Yeah. I kind of want another one. We'll get more. You want as, another one? I have like 20 more. <laughs> let's do one, one more. more. Yeah. One more. Yeah, okay. One more. Yeah. Do it. Let's go. So we all know who made the Betamax, but what company was responsible for VHS? Oh, I know this. I didn't. Retrotech. We answered this in Retrotech. Oh, VHS. Hold I have on. A guess. Hold on. I need David to David looks like he knows it. David either looks super confident or very not confident. I don't know. what He's confident. It's a confident face. JVC. I was wrong. If Wait, that's right. What's your answer, Andrew? Panasonic. JVC. David. I'm mad. JVC. Now, the minute he said Let's that, go. I like pictured it on the kit on the. Sorry, Andrew. Andrew. Andrew, I thought we were a team. Oh, we're a team. You had to give me the David said it. <laughs> well, if you have different answers, okay. yeah, you, I'll give you half a point for that. <laughs> Splitting it up. No, I I remembered we. Sorry, David. We that's had okay. a. It was a rivalry in a retro tech world yeah. when we went over that. I just had to think back to the the verses. Yeah. Well, good job. You mini, did it. Mini I had a JVC camcorder back in the day, Uh-oh. so good times. All right. Well, that's where we'll end it. Thanks for uh, <laughs> tuning in and for playing along with us. And uh, send us your screenshots of your wallpaper on Twitter of how you're using JB- JWST images, because I know you are. Yeah, you definitely for are. For sure. Till also, next one. big thanks to uh, Dr. Stephanie. Oh, yeah. Shout out to NASA. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Much appreciated. Yet again. You guys are the best. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to them again soon. All right. See you guys later. Waveformer is produced by Adam Molina and Ellis Rovin. We are partnered with Vox Media and our intro is created by Vane Sill. So.